Alright, so tonight we're going to be studying uh, chapter 12 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're going to study the entirety of the chapter tonight, uh, which is only one paragraph, so you, I actually stand a chance on getting through it. If you're uh, using the Bible with the Creeds and Confessions in the back, this is page 1316. If you're using the Burgundy Trinity Psalter Hymnal, this is page 927. If you're using the Red Trinity, if you're using the Red Trinity Hymnal, this is page 855. And if you're using the Confession of Faith that I gave you all years ago, uh, I don't remember what page number it is, but it's pretty straightforward in there. Page 56. Page 56. Very good. All right. So we're going to be looking at that in a moment, but right now I want to begin by just reading a couple of verses uh, from the book of Ephesians and talking more broadly about where we're at conceptually in the confession. All right. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And the reason I bring that up is because he says that when you are in Christ, you are given every spiritual blessing that there is. And, and I feel like sometimes when we talk about these doctrines, justification, adoption, and sanctification, we tend to think of them in isolation. And there's a sense in which that's helpful because they're not the same thing, right? Justification is not adoption. Adoption is not sanctification. Sanctification is not justification. That's true. But the way Paul lays it out in Ephesians 1 and in Romans 8 and other places is that if you are in Christ, you get all of these. So we want to think of our salvation primarily in terms of being united to Jesus Christ, being one with him. And then these are the blessings that flow from it. And so we talk about them each individually, again, because it's just helpful to have distinct categories. And while they are distinct from one another, I want to say they are not to be divided from one another. If you are in Christ, all of these belong to you. And a couple of weeks ago when I was with y'all, <clears throat> we talked about justification. Uh, justification, we said, is, is a, a legal de declaration. When you are in Christ, you have a new legal status before God the judge. Before you were in Christ, your legal status was guilty. You stood condemned in your trespasses and sins before you were born again by the Holy Spirit. That was your legal forensic status before the judge. But now in Christ, you have a new one. In Christ, in justification, we are pardoned of all of our sins and accepted as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. And in those lessons, we spent uh, a lot of time uh, on, on what this declaration means. It means that not only have I been forgiven my sins, pardoned of my sins, declared not guilty, but it also has a positive aspect to it. I've been declared positively righteous because of what Jesus did on my behalf. Jesus did come down from heaven and he did die on the cross for our sins, but he also, before that, lived for 30-some years the perfect human life that he might credit all of that to you. This is why, for example, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John says, this doesn't make any sense. You ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, 
Let it be so for now. This is Matthew 3.17. Because it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to do all things perfectly on behalf of his people. And this is a little bit of an elementary way to think about it, but it's helpful nonetheless. Uh, quite simply, every time that, that, that you and I lie, it's as if Jesus told the truth on our behalf. And that truth-telling, that positive uh, uh, obedience of the law is credited to our account. Every time that you or I uh, got angry unduly with somebody and committed the sin of murder in our hearts against them, Jesus reached out in love and built them up and gave life. Every time uh, that, that he was obeying God's law, which he did perfectly for his entire earthly life, that's credited to you as actual positive righteousness, legally speaking. It's credited to your account. You are giving the, the, the benefit of all of those actions. That is the only basis on which you can be justified before God is because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. <clears throat> this is what has been declared of you by God, that you are freely and fully justified in his sight. Um, every now and again, I'll throw out a good memory verse for you all. Romans 8.1 is a really good one for you, among the other 33,102 verses of the Bible. Uh, but Romans 8.1 is a good one to have committed to memory. Uh, would somebody please read that for us? Romans 8.1. Uh, Stephen. And then, Jack, I saw your hand. If you could do Romans 8, 12 to 17. I'll let you know when, though. All right, so Stephen, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Perfect. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No judgment for sin, no penalty, no penalty for the guilt that we have rightly incurred. Why? Because we are in Christ, and so we are justified. The legal condemnation is done away with. And as we've said, that's, that's this declaration. Again, we get this kind of language from Jesus himself on the cross, John 19.30. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. But as, as I've tried to diagram out here, and apologies again for my handwriting, but it is what it is. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm a doctor, this will make more sense that it's like this. But um, <laughs> our, our salvation is not just a legal declaration. It's also a familial declaration. It's a change in terms of our family. There's a personal aspect to it. And now, Mr. Gamble, if you would please read for us Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. All right, so there's a lot going on in this paragraph that we're not going to go into in detail, but just notice a couple of things. First of all, how does Paul address them? He addresses them as brothers, 
Why? Because they are in Christ along with Paul, and so they are part of the same spiritual family. Uh, he, he tells them that they are sons of God. He tells them that they have received the spirit of adoption. And, and, and look at the, the benefit that's in verse 17. It's, it's one of those parts of the Bible that if it wasn't in the Bible, and I heard some preacher say it, I'd be like, I don't buy it. It's too good to be true. He says in Romans 8, 17, that you are heirs, co-heirs with who? With Christ. That the blessings that the Father desires to lavish upon Christ, he also desires to lavish upon you. Because you are also his adopted children. It's a wonderful, uh, beautiful truth that that we we pass by all too often, that, that we are now part of the family of God by virtue of our adoption. Uh, the Shorter Catechism defines adoption this way. Uh, adoption is the work of God's free grace, wherein we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And uh, the, the, that language of sons of God there, again, that does not exclude uh, the ladies. That's language of, of reference to the, the, the inheritance that comes to the firstborn son uh, at that time, and so you, you ladies are are co heirs with 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 Christ just as much as 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 guys are. I like I like the way Doctor Phillips uh, jests, but it is true. You know, uh, girls have to make do with being called sons of God in the Bible, just as men have to make do with being called the bride of Christ in the Bible. Okay, it's just that's the way it is. That's the language the Scripture uses, and so that's that's what we're going to use. Uh, but we're adopted as sons it is a reference to specifically. Our, our, our right as inheritors, as heirs of Christ. Um, and so with all of that said, we're going to look a b- little bit more in depth at how the confession uh, defines adoption. So go back in your confession to chapter 12, <coughs> and I'll read this for us. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12, paragraph 1. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth, that's a word we don't use every day. In and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy all the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Uh, so you'll uh, you'll notice that this chapter is comparatively short, uh, and I think that gives some people the impression that the doctrine's not that important. That's not the case. Uh, the reason this chapter is comparatively short is, there's a couple reasons for it. One is... Um, It's a doctrine that wasn't really well-developed until the 1600s, until they they, they started working on this this confession. So that means that there was less uh, of a tradition to pull from, but we see it's all over the Bible. 
And also it means there's less error that needs to be corrected in the writing of this chapter. So like chapter 11 of justification, there's a lot of rebuking of Roman Catholicism in there because they are very wrong on justification. So there's a lot of time dedicated to exposing that error. Uh, the same thing when we get to uh, chapter 29 on the Lord's Supper, there's a lot of time dedicated to correcting the false teaching of other churches. Uh, but adoption, there wasn't much false teaching because there wasn't much development of doctrine. So they're able to state it uh, very clearly and succinctly. And what we're going to do tonight, and if you're looking at the confession, I'll just kind of show you where the outline breaks down. We're going to look at three things. Uh, why we're adopted, and that's going to be really tied to this phrase, in and for his only son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're adopted. Then we're going to look at uh, what adoption is, uh, by which they are taken to the number and enjoy all the liberties and privileges of the children of God. That's what adoption is, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then lastly, we're going to look in rapid fire at the benefits that flow from adoption, and that's really the rest of, of the paragraph there. And there's about 10, I think, listed there, and we're going to go at a pretty clipped pace. But let's go ahead and talk about why we are adopted. Um, and so as you heard in the reading, and I kind of made a, made a joke about it, there's the, it says, all those whom God hath freely justified, he also vouchsafeth. Right? That's an older word that we don't use a lot, but does anyone just by off chance, know what it means? Yes. Um, promises, guarantees, um, along those lines. Yeah, very good. That's spot on. It, it, it means, uh, I've got a dictionary definition, but that's very good, Mr. Reese. It, it means to grant or to furnish, right? To, 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 to fulfill the promise, but also in a, specifically in a condescending manner. Now, what they mean by condescending is not you know, the way we think of condescending, right? Like somebody talked down to me rudely, like they think they're better than me. But no, in the literal sense that God is above us and he condescends to give us this gift. He comes down that he might give us this gift. Um, that's, that's the meaning behind here. And, and so the confession is teaching not, that not only did Christ die for our sins, but that he also came that we might be adopted into the family of God. Jesus came not only to grant you legal right to eternal life, but to also grant you a new spiritual family to welcome you into his home, as it were. And again, we see this all over the Bible. For the sake of time, we'll just look at one passage. But would somebody please read for us Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. Miss Duncan. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Pause. So, so what he's saying there is, is at the appointed time, God the Father sent Jesus into the world, right? This is the miracle of the incarnation. And, and the first reason he gives is the one that we're all familiar with. That he was born under the law. Why? That he might redeem those born under the law. That's me and you. And I think 95% of Christians would put the period right there. But Paul doesn't. Go on, Miss Duncan. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Very good. So he says, Jesus came, first of all, that he might fulfill the law on your behalf, that he might save you from the condemnation that comes from having broken God's law. But secondly, that you might be adopted, that you might receive the spirit of adoption as sons. 
we are given the grace of adoption in and for Christ, the confession says. And I think those are two very important words. First of all, uh, we, we are only saved, we're only justified, we're only adopted, we're only sanctified because of what Jesus has done. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which you may be saved. That's true. We must be in Christ to be saved. And we see this all over uh, the, the Bible. And I think we're, we're generally speaking pretty clear on that. But, it, but that word for, we're vouchsafed in Christ, but also for Christ. In other words, your salvation is part of God's gift to the Lord Jesus. I'll say that again. Your salvation is part of the Father's expression of his love to the Son. And that is a humbling truth to think about. And we see this in multiple places in the Bible. For example, I think this will be my section of Actually, no, I think, I think Mr. Hawes will get to touch on this um, on Sunday morning. In John 6, 37 to 39, twice over, Jesus says, All those whom the Father hath given to me. They are a gift from the Father to the Son. You are not for him in the sense that he was lacking, that he didn't have everything he needed, and so, so you had to be used to make up for some deficiency. But you are for him in the sense that it, it pleased him to manifest his glory in your salvation. Let me just try and give one illustration. And some of you all will be able to relate to this more than others. Um, but you know, we have three kids in our home. And uh, we've actually got a video on my phone. And it's the, one of the cutest, sweetest things I've ever seen in my life. When we brought James home from the hospital... Brooke was so over the moon excited to have a baby brother. She could not wait to meet him, to take off. You know, we got him out of, he's in the car seat and there's the blanket over him. She couldn't wait to pull it up and to see his face. And, and immediately she wanted to hold him. She was just so overjoyed that her brother was now home, that her brother was now part of the family. And, and, and both Brooke and James felt the same way about Lynn when she came home. There's this, this overwhelming sense of joy and excitement uh, in, in their lives when a, a new child comes into the home. Now, now some of y'all are older siblings and you know what that's like. Uh, you also remember when your younger siblings been, began to be able to talk back to you and to take from you. Right? That's not part of this illustration, okay? So we're just going to focus on the good. But vouchsafed in adoption for Christ. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And, and if you get nothing else from this lesson tonight, I want you to know this, that that joy that was set before him, he went to the cross with joy. And the joy was you. The joy was that by this act, I am purchasing, I am redeeming, I am bringing into my household, into my family, all who will believe. And if you're a believer, that, that's you. the joy that was set before him. Adopted for Christ. Why were you adopted? Well, because Jesus bought you with his blood. Why would he do that? Because he loved you and he delighted in you and he wanted you to be part of his heavenly family. 
That is a truth that will bring you comfort and, and, and warmth on nights that you don't know how you're going to sleep. The joy that was set before him. All right, that's why we're adopted. Now, what is adoption? Well, we've already talked about it a good bit, but it's being born into a new family, right? Everyone here who was born, which is all of us, we were born into a family, whether you're an only child like me and Cole, or you already had siblings, or you're the oldest, or whatever, you were still born into a family, right? You have a biological mother and father. But when you are born again, you are born into a new family. You're born into the family that that is called and and selected and, and, and whatnot by the Holy Spirit. And, and you have a, you, you're brought into the number, the confession says, of the sons of God. And we'll talk more about what the blessings and the benefits are of that in the next section. But, but I just want to point out to you simply the reality of that. Um, I don't know how, <clears throat> I know a lot of y'all were in choir, but some of y'all were in, uh, in the gym for the missions moment. And you heard um, them talking about All Saints Reformed and, and what's going on with that work in Utah and uh, what I couldn't help but think is all of those things they're saying they love about their church are the very same things that I love about this church. That sense of family, that sense of community, and, and knowing that we're, that we're receiving and growing in the truth of God's word. And it's a remarkable thing that I may get to experience a little bit more than y'all, but y'all will get to experience in time. Um, you know, when, when I go to other churches to preach, and I may have never met these people before in my life. And yet, from the moment I walk in, it's like I've got a new family that I'm surrounded by. Why? Because we are adopted into the same family. We share Christ and his blood in common, and that makes us closer with, with those people than even our unbelieving blood family members. We share a new family. And, and y'all are a great picture of this, really, Every Wednesday night and every Sunday night, it's my favorite part of the week. And I tell everybody that's not here about it because I get to watch organically without being told to, without planning it, whatever. You guys, along with a hundred other people, hang out after church and talk and play games. Because because why? Because these are your closest relationships. And it's awesome. This is a new family that you're part of. That's part of the grace of adoption. So when you think about your love for one another and the enjoyment you get from one another, that's something to praise and thank God for because you're part of his family by his act of adoption. Uh, let's, let's run through these other benefits of adoption real quick. And again, there are, uh, yeah, 10 of them. Good deal. <clears throat> All right, so one, benefits of adoption. They obtain a new name. They obtain a new name in the same way that a a child being adopted into a new family receives the family name. So you receive a new name. You're called a Christian. You bear the name of Christ. And with all of the benefits that go with that, all of the blessings that go with that, that the Lord calls you his children. Um, And that's a remarkable thing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You have a new name placed upon you. Uh, They receive the spirit of adoption. That is, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you and works within you. This is the work of sanctification. 
But the spirit of adoption works within you to conform you to the image of Christ, your elder brother. They have access, this is number three, access to the throne of grace with boldness. Because you are a child of God, he he is not only willing to hear from you in prayer, he delights to hear from you in prayer. He longs to hear from you in prayer. The most important part of my day is when I get home and ask my kids, how was your day? How are you doing? How can daddy pray for you? What can I what can I do to serve? Your father looks at you the same way in heaven. Nothing you ask is too small for him. Here's another good memories verse for you. Isaiah 62, 7. The Lord says, give him no rest until he establishes the new Jerusalem. Give him no rest. That means pray without ceasing for everything you need in your life. And he wants to hear it from you. Give him no rest. Number four, they are objects of his fatherly sympathy and pity. And, and, uh, you know, I've got here Psalm 103, 13. He knows their frame and remembers that they are dust. And when he sees it necessary to correct them, he feels for them with with, with paternal compassion. When when he sees necessary to correct them, it's it's not out of some righteous anger that he's smiting you, right? We try never to punish our kids in anger. Well, We don't always do that perfectly, but God does that perfectly. He is willing to punish, but it is from a place of compassion. They enjoy his protection as their heavenly father. Um, And and I made a point about this in my sermon on on Joel, uh, dealing with this idea of protection. Um, That is chiefly against your spiritual enemies. That is chiefly uh, watching over you and and helping you to combat uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, to resist temptation, to resist uh, urges to sin. Uh, They are provided for. He meets all of our needs. Not every need that we think we have, but all of them that are real and actual is with you and for you. Uh, Parental correction when necessary. And I've got here in my notes, and and I felt so bad uh, that I didn't bring this up on Sunday morning um, when we were talking about the storms and the trials of life. Uh, But in God's kindness, this is a good place to bring it up. It's a good time to remember when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a hardship, not all of them are penal. That is, not all of them are punishments. Some of them are things that God sends you just for the sake of molding your character, for calling you to more dependence on him. But sometimes they are penal, right? Sometimes they are a rebuke for unconfessed sin. Uh, and, and that is also part of the Lord's kindness. Uh, and the good news is if you're ever trying to wonder uh, is this hardship in my life judgment from God? Generally speaking, your conscience is a pretty good arbiter of did I do something that I should have confessed and I haven't? And if that's not going off in your head, you can still trust his fatherly goodness that he's with you in the trial and in the suffering and that it's not about sin. Uh, Dr. Phillips again explains that so well. Like when he said that, that just clicked right in place for me. You know, Some trials are penal, some trials are punishment. And generally, the guilty conscience knows which ones are which. Okay, um, moving on. Unfailing establishment in their state of sonship. I think this is a good one to end on. So this is number eight. That is to say <clears throat> that because you're adopted into the family of God, you can't lose that. You can't be cast out. It will never happen because you didn't get you into it. 
You can't get you out of it. And because God brought you into it, and all of his works are perfect, and all of his works come to completion, it can't fail to come to pass. You are protected, pitied, and provided for for all of your life. Well, let's close in prayer, and then we'll sing another hymn. God in heaven, I give thanks to you for these, my young friends. I give thanks to you for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for your love and your great grace shown towards them, that they have been adopted in and for the Lord Jesus, that they are his joy. And Father, I pray that you would impress this hard on their minds, for I know that we all have struggles in life. I know that we all have hardships. I know that there are many hard providences that we Uh, Some are going through now, some will go through, we will all go through. But Lord, I pray that your love and the assurance thereof would be their guide, would be their light, would be their warmth. Lord, I know that you love them, and I pray that you'd make that clear. In Christ's name, amen.